Oh, if you got a Bible, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Today, um, what I'd like to talk about is I want to talk about family worship. I want to talk about family worship and making a gospel presentation and make the gospel priority in our homes. That's what I want to talk about this morning because I, I believe as the home goes, so the nation goes. Amen? If the home is not right, the nation won't be right. And I, I, I've walked through the last several months, walking through, seeing the, the, the state of our country, and I, I believe that I've found the answer of how we can get this thing fixed. Um, yeah. Now, there's days that I feel like when I preach, when I open up the word, when I, when I say, okay, this, thus saith the Lord, I, I feel like sometimes there is a block at what I'm trying to convey. Like we see the text and it bears our, its weight on us and we, we're told what to do, but for some reason... We don't do what it calls us to do. And I think the ideas and the mandates and the principles that are taught in the scriptures should be a Christian's foundational principle. Amen? Amen? It should be a Christian's foundational principle. They, they are to be what we are to follow. They are to be what we are to obey. And if, if you'd follow God's decrees, I believe that all of our lives would just be better. I just think they'd be better. And, and let me ask you something else. Let me, let's just do this. If for some crazy reason something happened and the, the ceiling split open this morning, an angel descended down and he said, listen, First Baptist Church of Cedarvale, listen. Jesus is going to be back here Thursday afternoon. He's going to be here at 543 Central PM because, you know, Central time is the best time. On Thursday, October, or September, October, September 9th, I'm, I'm in fall mode, I'm telling you. September 9th, 2021 at 5.43 p.m. Central Standard Time, and then he just disappeared. What would we do? I mean, most of it, some of us would be probably a little gut shot. We'd just go, whoa, what just happened? What just happened? What would you do for the next five days? What would you as a Christian do for the next five days? You say, well, Caleb, I'd, I'd, get, in my, I'd get in the Bible more. I'd, I'd read more scripture. I'd spend more time praying. I, I'd spend more time telling people about who Jesus is. Man, I'd make sure my kids understood who Jesus was. I'd make sure I understood who Jesus was. Man, I'd, I'd, I'd find somebody that I knew that wasn't going to heaven, and I'd say, man, you've got you've to change your mind. You've got to repent. Let's go a little deeper then. If you do all of those things that we mentioned just now, why are you not doing them now? Because Christ just might show up. You and I are never promised tomorrow. But we are promised that we will meet God. Amen? We will see God. So all of that being said is I want to talk about the importance of family worship and family involvement in the church. 
We live in a Christian parent culture today that by process of elimination teaches by example. Now, that's not bad. Teaching by example is not a bad thing. It's what we're called to do is to lead and to teach our families, to lead our kids. We are to influence our children. Amen? We are to walk with our children, our grandchildren. We are called by God to influence those children. But how? How are we to influence them? We are to show them what it looks like to love the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian parent, if you're a Christian grandparent, we are shown, we are shown in the Bible that we are to show them what it looks like to love God, to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to supremely be committed to Him and to His causes. Now, that being said, we can look at reality. And the statistics show something vastly different in Christian homes. 80% of Christian, I use this word in air quotes, Christian students walk away from the church and walk away from the Bible by the time they are a freshman in college. And there are blogs and there are articles and there are books and there are seminars on why this is taking place. I mean, all these people focus on the family. Every one of these individuals has a, a reason. There's, and there's some of them are valid reasons as to why this is taking place. Why is it that 80% of Christian students in, raised in Christian homes, 80% of them are moving towards atheism? It's a good question. Although those books and articles are great resources... I think the main reason and the biggest reason is that parents truly do not live out Deuteronomy chapter 6. They do not teach Deuteronomy chapter 6 in their homes. They, it's an outskirt and an outlying idea. Look at, the com, look at the command in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, you shall they shall be on your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, and starting in verse 5. What are we teaching our children? Are you teaching your children to love and to cherish God's word? Are you teaching them to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ with everything that they have to make him top shelf priorities when it comes to priorities? Are you teaching them that being an active member in a church should be something that you are doing actively? Well, we should be. But the sad thing is that what's happening is that the average church member of most average churches in America today show up once a month. They attend once a month. Now, I know what people will say immediately. Caleb, church membership doesn't save you. And I'll say yes and amen to that. But what church membership does is it is an outward barometer of what you view as a priority. If you're a member of any other social organization, any other social organization and you only make it to one to maybe two meetings a month, it would be deduced that you really don't think that that group or organization is that important. 
And out of all organizations on the planet, the church should be one of the most cherished, one of the most loved, and one of the most committed places that we are as Christians. But why? Because eternity's long. 80 years is not that long. It's a blip on the radar. It's a vapor. Here for a moment, it's a finger snap when it comes to forever. You need to ask yourself the question, does what my recreational team that I'm a part of and what they're doing, will that matter in a million years? Will my Boy Scout troop matter in a million years? Will my Girl Scout troop matter in a million years? Will my FFA, FA, or 4-H, you name it, will those things matter in a million years? And if you can say without, with a definitive, not really, they won't, then why in the world would you commit all your chips in and make your kids be a part of something that has got all the chips in on that, but you ignore the things that are eternal in nature? And here's the regular comments that I get back from people when I say stuff like this. Well, Caleb, Pastor, we can be salt and light in those arenas. We can be the, we can be the light of Jesus to those people. And I'll say, yes, you can be. But in all reality, 99% of the time, we're not salt and light in those communities. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to truly engage on this level. So we remain quiet. And even worse... What will happen most of the time is we dive headlong into what's going on in those places. We participate in the actions and the conversations. We don't rise above those things. We muddle down in the mud and the muck and the mire with those people. So in all reality, those excuses are not valid. And to top it off, we'll look at this in a little bit, but it's mandated by God that we are not to forsake the gathering together and to worship together. We are not to forsake this. And if you and I are doing this, you and I are in direct violation of God's word. Listen, I'm not saying that these, I'm not, listen, I am not saying these things this morning because I hate you. Quite to the contrary, I'm saying to these things because I love you. Remember, remember what I said last week. I, I just said it over and over again because that's true. I love you. I love you. I adore every human being in this room this morning. And I want us to have a mind and a heart transformation for the things of Jesus Christ. I want us to put a priority on the word of God. I want us to put a priority that our families love the Lord Jesus and are committed to the things of Jesus above all else. It's been my experience when people, when they begin to place, replace church with something else, they're actively committing idolatry. You say, what is, what? Idolatry, not adultery, idolatry. Two different things. Idolatry is when you love the world and the things of the world more than you love Jesus. And here's the thing. You and I are smart enough not to come out and say these things. We won't say, listen, man, I love my sports team more than I love the church. We'll never say that because we're smart. We're not dumb. Like we're geniuses about this. We'll wordplay and mental gymnastics the thunder out of this. We'll never come out and say that I love my 4-H club more than I love Jesus. I love my Boy Scout troop more than I love Jesus. We'll never say those things. But our actions prove otherwise. Our actions prove 
otherwise. I, I, I'm not saying that this, I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying this to be mean or judgmental or, or in a judgmental tone. Rather, I'm pleading with you and I this morning that there's a better way. Like, there is a better way for us this morning. Our utmost commitment needs to be to Jesus Christ and to his mission and to his mandates. This is what we're called to do. And what is that? It's primarily executed. God's missions and mandates from his word are primarily executed in the local visible New Testament church. Amen? Why not one? Okay, all right. Here we go. That's our utmost commitment is to be to Jesus. Matt Chandler says that there is data out there that now shows that kids are not being secularized by college professors that are atheists or atheist teachers, but rather they are being secularized at home before they go to college by well-meaning Christian parents who can't tease out the value of balance between sports and activities and the gathering of the people of God. So... When little Johnny or little Susie, when they go off to college and they become an atheist and they come back from these secular colleges and they have a secular atheistic worldview, you say, it's those darn college professors. No, it's not. It's mom and dad at home not teaching the fundamentals of the faith in the home. We're not doing these things. We're not doing these things. So in other words... A ball game or some other activity determines and dictates how your family views and operates around God and the church. You want to know why our nation is the way it is? It's because Christian parents have refused to stand up to the secular world and say, As for me and my house, Joshua 24, 15, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. One of the major reasons atheism is growing in the church culture is because, let me, I'm, I'm going to put the onus on men and fathers. In the past 70 years, 80 years have placed a high regard on everything and anything, sports, money, jobs, hunting, fishing, video games, politics, but the things of God, study of scripture, church membership, prayer, family worship together in the home, Those are mostly ignored. And because of this, it's had a trickle-down effect on children. So we are seeing children in 2021 now it not just ignoring the things of God, but rather becoming hostile towards the things of God. Why? Because parents are choosing to show their children that investing in the things of this world are vastly more important than investing in the eternal things of God. Men and women, church, dear brothers and sisters, it is time to wake up and to change our mindsets. We are to take an active role in our children's spiritual formations. You and I as parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, we are called by God to take an active role in the spiritual formation of our children. And listen, I don't want to stand here and discourage anyone that's going, oh, Caleb, that's just, yeah, I've done a horrible job. Thanks. 
I'm not trying to discourage anyone. I, I want to encourage all of us here that we can move in a direction of godliness. Those of us that are sitting in the pews this morning can have a transformative lifestyle change and we can become a transformative culture change agent in this town. In Cedarvale, Kansas, I believe that the kingdom of God can be expanded because of the men and women sitting in this room this morning. How can we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one. If, you got, if you're writing notes, let's go with number one. Make sure that you are committed to a local Bible-believing New Testament church. I wonder where you could find one of those here. Man, I don't know where one of those Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some have been, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Active and engaged church membership. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Active and engaged church membership is the most important thing for your family. Period. Vody Bauckham says in his book, Family Shepherds, I am arguing that the most important thing for a family shepherd to do when he is evaluating how to lead his family is to ensure they're, in a, they're healthy members of a healthy church. Period. What does that look like? You and your family are actually committed and active in the community of faith that you're in. That means, number one, you've got to show up. That's number one, you've got to be here. And when you're present in this community, here's what you're to do. You'll be engaged in the teaching times. You don't have just running through, just being, you know, just engaged during the teaching times. Open the Bible. If you've got a notebook and a pen, take some notes. Be engaged in the teaching time. Be present for these things. Make your kids listen during morning sermons and Sunday school. You parents have the ability to make your kids listen. And we'll make them listen on other places, but man, sometimes in church, they're just like, oh, I don't want to, I just don't want to discourage little Johnny. If he wants to scream, let him scream. If, no, you make them engage. Like, I, I, man, I, I grew up in church. There's this beautiful little, Nerve. I don't know what it is, but my, my mom could find this nerve. It's usually right about here. And my mom was like, Marjorie, my mom was five foot one. She's a little tiny thing. But she had this vice grip in her fingers. And if I'm out, if I'm out of line, man, my, my mom would squeeze me. And I, and I knew if I squealed, dad would come out of the pulpit. I think I've told you this story before. My dad, he was the pastor, so dads never, he's not going to discipline me during church. <laughs> well, dad was teaching about the uh, Tower of Babel one Sunday. And I, I was sitting over about there in this church we were in. I, was sitting, I, was on the, I don't know why I was in the front row, but I was in the front row over here. And I had, I had found hymnals. And I had just... I'd snuck under the pews and I'd grab hymnals and I was stacking them. And I, I'm telling you, 
the stack was quite high. And I had been given a look by my father that said, quit it, boy. But being a 10-year-old boy, I wasn't paying attention. Any other 10-year-old boys not pay attention sometimes? Just how many 60-year-old how many men? How many 30-year-old men? How many, I'm just, I'm just double-checking. And the hymnals fell. And in this church, it was a cement floor, and the walls were reverberating. If you, you, know, you do that, it just echoed like crazy. Well, it, was, it, it sounded like World War III had happened. I mean, just complete chaos. It was insane. My dad didn't miss a beat. He looked at Irma, who was the song leader at the time. She goes, Sister Irma, could you come and lead us in a song? Swiftly moved out of the pulpit, grabbed me up, took me out the back door, and Sister, Sister Irma and Ettore Crow played loud enough that no one could hear my wails. No one could hear my screams of torment because my dad said, you, I told you not to do this. And he gave me the board of education that day. I knew after that day, I'm not doing that again. And from that point on in church, I didn't do that kind of stuff. Because I knew that if I did those kind of things, that, man, I'm, I'm going to have a problem in my life. My parents made it a priority for me to be in worship and engaged in the teaching. Did I always listen? No, I didn't always listen. But my parents, they did their job to make sure I, my rear end was in the seat. That was their job. This, uh, here's the thing. When you do that, it, it's going to bleed over. And then as a result of being present in the worship, then get together in fellowship with one another. Be in fellowship with one another. Be present for these things. Get together and have each other over for lunch and for dinner. At their, sit brothers and sisters around your table and have meaningful, deep conversations about the things of God and the things that are going on in your lives. Having those kind of things and those kind of conversations as a result of being in worship together here in this moment, then you're going to have people around your table in fellowship. That Having that happen is going to bleed over into your life. In other places, it's going to have a bleed over into your life. And this will cause you to have life outside of this place as a desire to glorify God and to seek Him above all else. Having others, church members and, and other believers at your home to show your children what a healthy, loving church community looks like. Having family, church family around the table, eating dinner with one another saying, Hey, it's good to have these people here. Let's talk about Jesus. I remember growing up, that's what we did. I sat around the tables of older men and women who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And man, guess what? They'd engage with me at the table. I might be just sitting there. I'll never forget Ann and Butch Bieza. Golly, they were wild. I loved Butch. Butch was a hair trigger. He was outrageous. But man, he told some of the funniest stories. I was Noah's age. I was 10 years old sitting at the, sitting at the table of Butch and Ann's house. I'll never forget they came in church one, one morning and they were fussing and fighting. One morning. We got to, I got to see this. They grabbed my dad. Pastor, we've got to settle a debate for our home. We've got a major, distribution, major disturbance in our home. And 
Dad said, okay, well, what's, that, what's the problem? And he said, Pastor, is it a sin for a woman to wear makeup? Dad, without missing a beat, said, well, Butch, it's a sin for some women not to wear makeup. That's just, I mean, just, that's my dad. <laughs> but man, having men and women who love the Lord Jesus Christ sit around, I mean, I remember those crazy conversations growing up. Like my parents made sure that we were part of a gospel-centered fellowship. And as, now, now the next thing that happens as a result, that number two, that, that's number one, being committed to a Bible-believing church. Number two, make sure to have a time, a regular time of family prayer, Bible study, and worship. This means that you take time to get on your knees and to pray with your wife and your children. This means to open up the Bible in your homes and read the Bible together. I'll never forget this. Noah was young. Noah was little. And he had this stuffed animal named, he called it, it was a stegosaurus. He got it at the Build-A-Bear workshop and it was a stegosaurus. And he he called it Steggy. That was his name for it. And we, every night, I'd get, pretend he's, his bed's right here, and he'd lay in bed, and I'd get on my knees next to the bed, and I would, we'd pray. I, I'd, he'd pray, and then I'd pray. Now we do it different. I pray first, then he prays. But I was praying, and I was just like, Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for Gabe, and thank you for Austin, and Hannah, and Noah, and for mom, I pray that you just protect and shield them and you just watch over them. God, just thank you for giving them to us. Lord, we just thank, we love you. In Jesus' name. And all of a sudden, I feel a slap on the back of my head from a little Noah. He said, pray for Steggy too. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for Steggy. Oh, Lord, be with Steggy. Protect him while he sleeps tonight. And he said, Caleb, that's silly. That's, that's crazy that you prayed for his stegosaurus. No, it's not. Because he's, he's watching me. My son is watching me. Your children are watching you. If you make no priority or time for prayer or Bible reading, guess what? They won't either. They won't either. And then you're going to ask yourself in 30 years, what happened? Why is my kid acting like a heathen? Because you were acting like a heathen by not studying God's word. And coming here once a week doesn't cut it. Being here once a week, that's nice. It's, just like, it's like a supplement. It's like a vitamin. But if this is all of Jesus you get all week, you ain't getting very much. Amen? Like, if this is all of Christ you get, you're not getting very much. Make time for family worship. Open your Bible. Open, your, open the Word. Pray with your kids. Psalm 78 verses 2 through 7 says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark things from old. Things that have been heard and known that our fathers told us. We will not hide them from, we will not hide them. We will not hide them from our children. But we will tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord. And his might and his wonders that he has done. He established the testimony in Jacob, appointed the law of Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, and the next generation might know them and their children who are not even born yet. 
and arise and will tell them to our children so that they should set their hope in God. You want your children to set their hope in God? Talk about him in your homes. Talk about Jesus with your grandkids, grandma and grandpa. Because and this is and grandma and grandpa say, oh, I can't, I can't shape my grandkids. Yes, you can. How do I know? Because I got some sitting right down here in the front row that have been shaped by their grandmother and their grandfather. Amen? Like this is what we're called to do. So generationally, we are to see something here. Grandfathers and grandfathers, I'm sorry, grandfathers, fathers, and fathers yet to be, being taught and teaching them about the things of God. Grandmothers, mothers, and mothers yet to be, learning and being taught about the things of Jesus Christ. What? To be committed to His Word and be committed to His church. That's what we're called to do. And guess what? When we do this, we don't have the rotting, decaying corpse of wicked morality being pushed into our homes because we're actively combating that at the front door. Christian family, we need to be making trouble. Listen to me. Christian families, we need to be making trouble for the enemy. We need to be making war against the enemy. You need to be knowing what's coming in your house, dad, mom, grandma, grandpa. Know what's coming in your house. And if there's something that's not right, shut it down. Shut it down. We are to make trouble for the enemies of God. We need to be warriors who are ready to take out wickedness and propel godliness in our own lives first. And then, as a result of that, we can take it out outside of our lives. But we got to start here. Revival starts in the mirror. Amen? Revival starts with me. I can't go, Jamie, you need to change if I don't. Kids, you need to look different and act different if I don't. That's silly. The things that were... Things are caught more than taught in the home. Kids see what a priority. What's a priority to mom and dad? Is church a priority to mom and dad? Nah. Guess what? It won't be a priority to your kids when they're in their 30s and 40s either. But if church is a priority, man, I, I, I know people that, man, scouts is the priority in their home. Scouts are the priority in their home. They grew up in that, and they, were there. they went to scouting meetings two and three times a week. They went on campouts and all the things that you can do with all the things with scouts. Guess what? They're not really active in church, but by golly, they are, they are still neck deep in scouts. Why? Because that was the priority that mom, grandma, grandpa, all the priorities were there for that. But church was just sort of kind of, yeah, it's just something you do on Sunday morning for a couple hours. Whew. And then as so... We need to be warriors who are ready to take out wickedness and propel godliness in our own lives and then secondly into our communities. So number three, that's number two. Number three, be committed to living the gospel in your cities. Be committed to living the gospels in your cities. This means actually doing something. Go out and knock on somebody's door. Invite them to church. Ask them if they know who Jesus is. Ask them that, that great question we sang this morning. Are you washed in the blood? Because everybody says I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? Oh yeah. 
Are you washed of the blood? My dad asked that just two weeks ago in my house. A guy came in my house and he said, looked at this guy and he said, didn't ask him if he was a Christian. He said, I have a personal question for you. Yeah, yeah, what's up? Are you washed in the blood? You know, he just goes, I hope so. I don't know. But if he had asked, hey, are you a Christian? You know what he would have said? Oh, yeah. Are you washed in the blood? Are you washed in the blood? Actively engage people in your communities. Invite them to church. Be a part of something bigger than yourself. Lead and encourage your children to do mission projects that will actually have an impact. We're leading. And, so, I, Kalo, I couldn't lead and guide my kids to do a mission project. Really? Because you're leading and guiding them and teaching them how to play ball, how to shoot guns, how to hunt deer. But we're not teaching them how to teach others about Christ. Well, I can't do it. Yes, you can do that. You just make, you've made an agreement with the enemy that you can't. You can. You can. You can. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. Christian, in this room, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You can't be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under the basket, but they put it on a stand so that it gives light to the entire house. In this same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. What's that old song that we have? Dozens of kids standing at this little podium. They sing it. This little light of mine. They even put their finger up. I'm going to let it shine. Why, where do, why do we lose that awe and that wonder and that excitement as a young kid? Of Listen, I'm going to let it shine all over Cedarvale. When you're 20. Uh, don't anybody know about that? <laughs> what are we doing to teach our children to make much of Jesus? Are we teaching our children that Jesus is everything? And that we should be chasing him more than we're chasing anything else. Or are we teaching them that Jesus is just sort of kind of an add-on. We just do that on Sundays. It's just something you do. Guys, I'm telling you. This, I t sometimes when I preach, I feel like I'm not conveying the truth well enough. But I, I don't know. I just, like, listen. I, I believe in this place. I, I believe in this place. I believe in the men, the women who are sitting in this room this morning. Every single heart that's beating in this place this morning. I believe in you. I told you last week I loved you. This week I'm telling you I believe in you. I believe that we have men and women who can push out the kingdom of God in the places where they are. I believe in First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. I believe that God has equipped us as a group of people to propel godliness into our families. And as a result of that, it'll go into our, our communities as well. If we're pushing Christ out in our families, guess what? We don't have problems in our public schools anymore. Because we got kids that love Jesus. I had a conversation with a church member this last week. I told him I believed in him. For a particular purpose and a particular reason. You know what he said? If my pastor believes in me, I ought to believe in myself. Listen, guys, I believe in you. I believe in the human beings that are here that you can propel the hope of the gospel out to everyone around us. 
I, as your pastor, believe in you. Believe in yourself that I can do it. I can do what God's called me to do. I can live out my ministry where I'm supposed to live out my ministry. I believe you can do that. I, that's what I believe. I'm telling you this week, if, man, if you don't believe in yourself, I believe in you. And you know who else believes in you? The Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 says that he is at the right hand of God this morning, interceding on your behalf. Tell me that's not belief for you, that he loves you and that he's for you. Romans chapter 8 says, if God is for us, and we quote this all the time, if God's for us, who could be against us? Well, let's believe that. If God's for us, woo, let's go for the enemy in this place. Let's make trouble for the enemy. Let's get in here and get neck deep in the things of Jesus Christ. And come back to this idea in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that says, Listen, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That means everything about you. With all your heart, your soul is your mind, your suke, your mind, and with everything, your, uh, your might. With everything, I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to love him. And as a result of that, number one, that's what I'm going to do for me. And as a result of that, number two, the, these words that I've commanded you today, you shall keep them on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You'll talk about them when you, what, sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. That means you're talking about Jesus all the time with your family. Are you talking about Jesus with your family? Well, Pastor, I'm not. Well, you can. So uh, it's too late for me. No, it's not. It's not too late for you. Yes, we need godly grandparents. We need godly moms and dads. We need godly students. We need godly uncles and aunts who are saying, you know what? When I got my niece in my house, we're going to talk about Jesus. When my niece is in the house, we're talking about Jesus. Hmm. You shall bind them as a sign on your head and in the fontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house. You can, listen, one of the first things you should do when you get home, find a way to get scripture and hang it on your wall. Put scripture up in your house. Let it hang so that people can read it, so you can read it, so your kids can read it. If you come to my house, there's scripture hanging on our walls. Right this very moment. Oh, okay, good for you, Caleb. No, I'm just saying that's what we should be doing. That's what God's word tells us to do. And I told you this morning as we began this, man, if, if we just start saying, okay, God, this is your word. I'm going to do what you've told me to do. I'm going to follow it. Guess what? Our lives are better. Your life will be better if you follow God's mandates. Amen? Like, your, my life will be better. Trust me, there have been days when I have not done what God's told me to do. And so, you know what I said? I'm smarter than you, God. And I stepped out from underneath his authoritative umbrella of protection. And I said, I got this. Guess what? I didn't have it. <laughs> I fell flat on my face and busted some teeth out. But you can do this. I believe in this place. I believe that God has equipped us as a group of people to propel godliness into this community. But we just got to step into it. We got to take the step of faith and say, okay. Because here, the enemy will whisper and say, you're not good enough. There's no, you got a past, dude. Sister, you got a past. But guess what? So do all of us. 
You're too, you're too much of a mess to talk about Jesus. No, you're not. Like, that's a prerequisite to be a part of the team. <laughs> you want to be on the team? Guess what? I am completely inadequate and a failure. Get on in here. Let's do it. That's why he's talking to you. I'm a failure, Caleb. Guess what? So is everybody else in the book, except for one. And he's the one we look to. He's the one we get our strength from. Amen? He's the one we walk through with in truth and dignity and righteousness and say, Jesus, it's not my will, but yours be done. Amen? I believe that for you this morning. That's what I believe. So I'll, I'll finish out today like I finished last week. Brothers and sisters, I love you. Man, I love you guys. And my hope is that God would transform our hearts and our affections for the things of the world and we change from that and we say, okay, God, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm going to love the Lord. I'm going to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my might. And I'm going to repent and ask Jesus to forgive me where I haven't. And from this point on, I'm moving forward in the power and the, and the mercy and the grace and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Let's stand together. Father, thank you for this group of men and women. God, help them be encouraged as they walk out of these doors that they have the ability to be literal, gospel-centered, culture-change agents in Cedarville, Kansas. Help them to see that they have the ability by the power of your good grace and mercy to be able to be missionaries where they are. Help them not to believe the lie that the enemy's pushed out, that they're not good enough. Father, because of you, we're forgiven. We're forgiven and we have the strength to do what we're called to do because you've given it to us. You've qualified us, so as a result of being qualified, God, help us to walk in that and live in that. God, we need you this morning. Thank you. Help us to walk mightily and boldly as we leave here. In Christ's name, amen.